certain strategic points, then please do bear with me. Now, it's, uh, am I coming through? Hello? Yeah, just about. There I am. I'll preach like this. Um, it's Next Generation Sunday, and it's a, a brilliant time to celebrate our children and everything they've been doing. But actually, church is a multi-generational place, and celebrating each generation is just as important. And hopefully, during our preach this morning, I want to take some time to do that and show you how being a multi-generational church displays something of God's grace to us as well. Um, speaking of multi-generations, here's a photo of uh, the multi-generations of my family. I'm the one in white. There I am. That's four generations of Hobby family right there. So that's me, my dad, my granddad, and my great-granddad, Hobby, there. Uh, all four uh, men of God, all four grew up as, uh, as Christians, and I'm very grateful for growing up in a multi-generational family where I was taught about my faith. Now, that might not be everybody's, uh, everybody's story, everybody's journey uh, in coming to Christianity, and I'm certainly very grateful uh, for these men of God that, that did help me in, in learning about my faith. But Actually, if you haven't grown up in that multi-generational context, church can be quite the culture shock because you can walk into a building like this on a Sunday morning and see all sorts of generations represented. See, God's church is unlike any other subset of society in that regard. People who otherwise might have no reason to engage with one another come here every week to become God's family. And it's not that we're begrudgingly thrown together and we have to kind of come in and, oh, well, now I'm going to have to talk to a bunch of young people or now I'm going to have to, you know, there's none of that. Actually, hopefully if you've been here for any length of time, you'll see that there's genuine care and affection among one another and uh, that's not uh, subject to, to generations. You know, that's a, a multi-generation affection that we've got towards one another. And I think that's an incredibly countercultural thing in this individualistic society, you know. People tend to flock to people who are just like them, their age and their interests, and they build their own little echo chambers. That's a, a real cultural thing in our, our culture at the moment. And isn't it brilliant this morning to be sat next to people of different ages and stages and backgrounds and generations? It's a, a fantastic thing on display. Like that picture I showed, families are multi-generational in their nature, and the church as the family of God replicates that. And honestly, I, I struggle to think of another community or group that gathers people from every age range so well and so purposefully and so lovingly, so authentically as the Church of God. And that's something to celebrate. And that's why we're doing our Next Generation Sunday. Having so many generations represented also provides its fair share of challenges too, making sure that we cater for every age range, honoring parents who are battling to get their kids out of the door on a Sunday morning, making space for busy professionals to engage with God, ministering to an older community who might have health concerns or other worries. I'm overgeneralizing, of course, but you get the point. As a church community, we've got a responsibility to come together, to care for one another, and most importantly, to share God's love with one another. So let's open the Bible and, uh, and look at how we are to relate to one another as church community made up of different generations. And we're going to start this morning in Ephesians. It's on page 1175, Ephesians 3, verse 20. It's just a short one, this one, so I've got it up on the screen behind us as well. If you flick to it, then you'll be able to see the context too, page 1175. Ephesians 3:20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Throughout all generations. 
Now, the first part of that verse is well known to us, isn't it? To him who's able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. That verse comes out quite often, doesn't it? Prayer meetings, when you really need God to break through, that's a go-to verse. But it's, it's actually in the context that we read here of his church. That's us. And in Jesus, throughout all generations, that this verse is to be read. The passage is great at giving us a glimpse of what a multi-generational church should look like. It should be a place where God's glory is on display. It's also a place where multiple generations should come together to give God glory. God's glory is immense and infinite and immeasurable. And we could spend a whole morning just looking at God's glory. It's the whole point of creation where God displays himself through creation. The Bible tells us that the whole of creation declares his glory. The whole earth, everything created, is therefore full of his glory. And when we accept the truth and worship him in response, what are we doing? The Bible says we're giving glory to God. <coughs> the glory he deserves. See, God doesn't need us to make him glorious. The Bible also tells us that if we didn't praise him, the rocks would cry out. But what Ephesians verse 21 tells us is that through the church, God's glory can be demonstrated. Through Jesus and through community. The church is the context for these verses. When we come together and give God glory, there's a battle cry from the Christians. Multiple voices coming together as one, giving God the praise he deserves. It's an incredibly powerful thing, and I'm going to come on to talk about that a little bit more later. Speaking about these verses, one theologian says this, Paul wants us to be strengthened in Ephesians 3 verse 21 through a proper confidence in God's plan for the church. Paul tells us that the sledgehammer blows of the devil can do nothing to stop God's plan to glorify himself through the church in every single generation. God the Father can no more renounce his faithfulness to the church than he can renounce Jesus as his son. Isn't that powerful? We're to give God glory from generation to generation until Jesus returns. It's the church's mandate to give God glory and to proclaim the good news of his saving work. So what happens when a church forgets its mandate to give God glory? What happens when churches are no longer multi-generational? And what happens when we don't preach the good news of Jesus to every generation? Well, if you've still got your Bibles open, let's turn to page 243 and find out. This is Judges 2, and it offers a stark warning that we should not take our, our, uh, of what could happen if we don't take our charge to preach to the next generation seriously. So Judges 2, starting in verse 7, says, The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance in Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After the whole generation had been gathered To their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord or what he'd done for Israel. Then the Israelites (coughs) did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. And we'll stop there. So what happens when a multi-generational church forgets to tell the next generation about God? Well, that next generation falls away, and that's what's happened here. And it's easy to say, well, this won't happen to us. You know, that's, that was Israel. That's, you know, what happened then. But the people of Israel had seen amazing things. They'd been delivered out of Egypt. They had no reason to deny God's existence or his ability for mighty works or his saving power. 
Yet just one generation, that whole heritage was lost. We're talking about the Israelites who just one generation before had been miraculously saved out of Egypt through a miraculously parted Red Sea, sustained through a desert and brought into the promised land by a God who loves them. Yet one generation, they've forgotten God. And we can often look at the Israelites and get complacent and think, oh, well, that won't happen to us. You know, we're we, you know, more educated and we know what we're doing, don't we? But passages like this should be a stark warning to us that if it can happen to the Israelites after everything they've seen, imagine the Red Sea parted, you walking right the way through the middle and you don't take the time to tell your kids about it. Then it can happen to us as well. A chap called Don Carson who puts it this way, we are never more than a generation or two away from apostasy and oblivion. Stark, isn't it? We've got a responsibility generation to generation to ensure that this doesn't happen in our church too. The reality is it is happening in far too many churches in the Western world. Churches are dying out because of an aging population. I don't know how much you know about the history of Gateway Church, but we've been meeting as two sites for about five years now perhaps slightly more. Um, We were based originally up at our older road site and then felt a call to start a second site. And that second site hasn't always been here. We purchased this building just over three years ago. Before that, we met in a fish and chip shop at Pulkey. Uh, It was lovely, wasn't it? Uh, I still still remember my kids. They were, Eleanor was uh, just about one year old uh, and she used to find stale chips on the floor from the previous (laughs) night and stick them in her mouth. (laughs) How about that? Uh, Then we moved to a steakhouse, then we moved to a hotel, and then we moved to the uh, URC building on Skinner Street in Poole. And if you don't know it, it's a beautiful old grade two listed building, and we had our service in there, and then we had to get out quickly so that the the Skinner Street uh, congregation could come in and have their service. And that Skinner Street conversation, and um, I love them and have a a great affection for them, but it it was a, a real sobering moment to see us walk out and that congregation walk in because honestly there was about 12 of them and they were all over the age of 80 and the guy who was kind of nominally leading it there said actually most of these people turn up every week because they just want to die here and they want to get buried here and that's it and actually we can think oh well this you know it's happening to the Israelites but it won't happen to us but I'm telling you we've seen it firsthand there are churches in Poole that it's happening to churches that aren't telling the next generation about God Churches who, if you walk into Skinner Street and look on the wall, you'll see pictures from the 60s and 70s. Hundreds of people standing outside the building. That was the church. Now 12 people. Pray for them, guys. It's desperately sad. We want to see our churches flourish and grow in this community, but all too often, that's not the case. So we know the problem, the dangers of not thinking missionally in a multi-age, multi-generational context. Well, what's the answer then? Let's read our Bibles again. I know lots of Bible turning this morning. Page 631 now for Psalm 145. I've got it on the screen if you're fed up of turning. (laughs) Psalm 145 then says, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of your glorious splendor, of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. I'll stop there. 
One generation commends your works to another, they tell of your mighty acts. So, out of Psalm 145, and indeed, the other passages we've read this morning, I want to suggest four ways in which we need to respond as a multi-generational church to, to see us continue to grow and thrive in every generation and for generations to come. And as I share these four things, it's honestly my belief that each one is the responsibility of everybody here at Gateway Church. So if you're here this morning and would call this church your home, these four points are for you. So as we're going through it, ask, how am I doing with this? Where am I at with this? Am am I taking my responsibility here seriously? Am I, as a part of this community, doing my bit? These are questions I want you to be asking as we're going through these four things, okay? So number one, then, is this. We have assurance in who we are in Jesus. See, before we step out of this building and begin to affect the world around us, it's imperative that we know who we are in Jesus. Remember our passage in Ephesians, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. (coughs) It's through Christ Jesus, through his saving work at the cross, that we can experience God's glory personally. That means that as Christians, as Gateway Church, we experience a relationship with the creator of the universe, The one of infinite glory is also the one who draws close to us and the one that we can call Father. That's amazing, isn't it? The importance, the the privilege of this can't be overstated too much. You see, when we tell people about Jesus, we're not just suggesting a better moral code for them to live by. We're not doing it for personal gain so that we can get another tick in in heaven. We're doing it so that the people of Poole and Bournemouth might have the same relationship with the creator and sustainer of the universe that we've got now. It's amazing. So before we tell others about Jesus, we need to know who we are. The problem that the Israelites faced wasn't just that they'd forgotten God, but they'd forgotten who they were in God. The Bible calls Israel God's chosen people. And in that moment, the Israelites had forgotten it. This was God's chosen people who had forgotten God and turned their backs on him to worship the gods of the people around them. It's unthinkable for the chosen people of God to do that. But guys, this morning, you are the chosen people of God. Don't forget who you are in God. That's point one. We need to remember who we are in Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, and the amazing privilege it is to call God our Father and to have that relationship with him. So before we start talking to other people about our faith, know who you are in Jesus. Remember who you are in Jesus. He chose you to be a part of his family. He loves you so much. He has drawn you near to have a special relationship with him. And it's from that place that we minister to the rest of the world, having an assurance in who we are and an assurance that we'll have an eternity with our Father in heaven too. So if that's the case, once we know who we are, what do we do next? Well, the next thing we do is we worship. We worship. Psalm 145 is a psalm of worship. One generation commends your works to another. No, it doesn't say here that one generation tells your works to another. It's not a conversation around a dinner table. The Hebrew word used for, for commends is the word yesaba, which means shall praise. So it's actually better read, one generation shall praise your good works to another. See, one way that we can win generations for God is through praise. Psalm 145 continues, they commend, they tell of your mighty acts, they speak of (coughs) the glorious splendor of your majesty, they joyfully sing of your righteousness. If we know who we are in Jesus, it should cause praise to swell in us. Each one of us was a lost cause, destined for hell. That's true. 
crushed by the weight of our own wrongdoing, but for a God who rescued us and saved us. And we sang about that this morning. That's worth proclaiming, worshipping. And so we do. We share powerful testimony of who God is, how majestic he is, how worthy and powerful and merciful and gentle and how loving he is. And Grace and Hannah and the guys spend an awful lot of time putting together a song list that helps to put these words into our mouths so that we can sing about how brilliant our God is. We're meant to praise God's work from one generation to the next. If God is glorious, which he is, and if he's responsible for all creation, which he is, if he's the one who created the planets, breathed life into first humanity, led Israel out of slavery through a parted sea and into a promised land, gave us scriptures for good living, gave up his son to die for us on a cross, poured himself into us, united us to him through Jesus. If these things are true of God, which they are, then shouldn't we praise him? That's our next obligation as Christians. We should praise him into the next generation. And shouldn't that praise echo out to all generations? See, for our children at the moment, they're quite young. They're not going to sit down and listen to a 40-minute preach. But one thing we can do is sit and sing songs in the car or when we're at home. And it's a great way to start to tell them about who Jesus is. So we praise together. Christians, that's what we're supposed to do. We're meant to praise God's work from one generation to the next. One of my favorite songs is a song called All Hail the Lamb. And the reason it's one of my favorite songs is for the beautiful phrase, his praise shall be our battle cry. Like I said earlier, worship is the battle cry for the Christian. As we come together, multiple generations represented this morning, and give God glory. As we worship him, we're giving testimony to the goodness of God. We're publicly declaring for all to hear (coughs) that Jesus is Lord. And this is an incredibly powerful thing. We've actually known, we've had testimony of people walking past this building, hearing the singing and walking in because they've been so attracted by it. The generation they call Gen Z seems overly impressed with authenticity at the moment, whatever that word means. So restaurants will kind of do fake authenticity where they'll just kind of put wood paneling up on the wall to make it look like they're all really authentic. Well, I tell you, there's nothing more authentic than Christians singing their heart out to Jesus on a Sunday morning because they know who they are. It's attractional, guys. If we know who we are in Jesus, our next response is to praise, worship. When we come back into worship later, worship with everything you've got because he's worth it. He's deserving of it. John Piper puts it this way. Worship is the goal of missions Because in missions, we aim to bring the nations into a white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. See, in worship, we don't just give God glory, but we enjoy his presence. We participate in our relationship with him. We allow him to minister to us. The goal in seeing people come to know Jesus isn't just praying the prayer once, but it's getting them to enjoy their relationship with God. So Gateway Church, let's be a people who worship who express our enjoyment of God when we come together because it's a great way of sharing God's gospel. The next thing we do, if we know who we are in Jesus and we know that we should then worship him for it, we should then tell people. Tell people. See, people won't know about Jesus unless we tell them. And whilst I'll admit it's entirely possible that God can just come to somebody in a dream and they'll wake up and think, right, I need to become a Christian. 
it's far more likely that they'll become a Christian because somebody here has told them about Jesus. See, to continue to be a multi-generational church that thrives, we need to be telling people about Jesus. Actually, sitting here on a Sunday morning, the same people week after week in our holy huddle is going to do nothing to advance the kingdom of God. One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Church, we need to be telling more people about Jesus. I thank God for every Christian who walks through these doors and decides to commit to come to Gateway Church. And if you're here this morning because you've walked through the door and you are a Christian and you're thinking about coming to Gateway Church, then welcome. You are most welcome. But I tell you, I celebrate all the more when a non-Christian walks through those doors, somebody who doesn't know Jesus and makes a lifelong commitment there and then and then gets added to our community. I'll celebrate all the more because that's where we're really seeing fruit. We need to be telling people of every generation. We need to be equipping our kids to talk to their friends. We need to be on the front foot when looking for opportunities to invite people to church, pointing them to the next belief course, sharing testimony of God's faithfulness in our own lives. Honestly, the church simply won't grow without it. (coughs) As I said earlier, making disciples, as as Jesus charged us to do, isn't about pushing a moral code on a reluctant culture. It's not about us wagging our finger and saying, "Ah, ah, Jesus didn't say you should do it like this. And it's not just about one time, one prayer of faith, but it's about proper discipleship that leads people into true, deep, meaningful, enjoyable relationships with the Father who loves them. When we tell people about Jesus, we need to be speaking in a way that ignites a life-shaping, white-heart awe of God's glory. My friends, think about your own life. How many people have you told about God recently? How are you doing on this one? Remember I said these four points. Ask yourself, how are you doing with it? How are you doing? When was the last time you told somebody about, about Jesus? Honestly, the only way this church will grow is if we take this one seriously. If you haven't told people about God, if you're not bringing people to church, then this church won't grow. And this is the one that we need to keep on the front foot with. Who are you going to start praying for? Who are you going to be looking for opportunities to share the gospel with this week? We want to see this church continue to grow and flourish. You know, Gateway Church, or uh, a version of it, has been around for almost 100 years. 2025 will be our 100-year anniversary, and already I want to start praying, Lord, would you help us to thrive for the next 100 as well? But that will only happen, guys, if we keep telling people about Jesus. So that's number three, tell people. Number four, then, is that each generation can play their part. Each generation can play their part. The church is supposed to be a multi-generational community who come together for the good of each other and for the glory of God. And there's a couple of helpful verses that I found that helps to show how, as a multi-generational church, every generation can play their part. Like this one in Joel 2. And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Each generation's got an obligation to support other generations. God's given each one of us a role to play in his family, a way that we can contribute as we work together to build one another up in faith and to bring the gospel to Bournemouth and Poole. The Bible gives us a picture of what this looks like to be a church together. Young and old, multiple nations, tribes, tongues, languages will all be represented together in heaven one day. And while here on earth, we'll come together to make up the family of God in church community with each one having a role. It was brilliant to take some time to celebrate our children this morning, wasn't it? And I'm so grateful for, for the role of our kids' workers and to have so many kids in this church. 
<coughs> but even our children have got a role to play. Matthew 19, Jesus says this, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Often our kids are up front at the start of our worship services being unruly and dancing around and you know, waving whatever it is that they're waving. And personally, I love watching it because it reminds me of this passage. See, in our own way, we're getting a glimpse of this passage through them as they're dancing and being unashamed in the way that they express their worship. It should be a lesson to the rest of us as well. Hey, could all do with being a little bit more unashamed when we come to worship God. Our children are a total blessing to us here at Gateway Church. And parents, if you're a parent here of a kid, then your number one job is to tell people about Jesus, to be an example to them. You are the chief evangelist of your household. And it's your job to ensure that the next generation grows up with a robust understanding of who their God is. My job as a parent is to tell my kids about Jesus. That's my number one aim, to see my two girls grow up, to have a lifelong faith with with God. But I want you to help me. We need to be on a mission to evangelize our children together, to work together to see them saved. You know, I became a Christian when I was six years old. And as I was preparing this preach, I realized that Eleanor's already five. Actually, that was my first meaningful commitment. That was, that was the time I can point to in my life where I prayed for God to be my father and meant it, six years old. Some of these kids out here, six years old and, and above, you know, we need to start believing that God can do a work in their lives. They're not too young to make a meaningful commitment to God. It also underlines the importance of our kids' teams. Every week I find myself praying that God would bring non-Christians into this building who can hear about Jesus and be saved, but I often forget that there's like 20 non-Christians back there. They just happen to be under the age of 13, right? We've got a lot of work to do to ensure that the guys who are, are back there, the young kids who are back there, become the future leaders and evangelists in Poole and Bournemouth. Our legacy as a church will be in how well we bring up these kids in their faith. Because one day I hope they'll be standing here and bringing God's word to us as well. And the reality is, if I share a testimony quickly, I might not be stood here this morning uh, preaching to you all if it wasn't for the teaching I received at a Sunday school, a little bit like this one. It was after a service on a Sunday, having been sat in Sunday school, six years old, where somebody very clearly explained who Jesus was, that I decided to make a commitment to God. And the friends that I made when I was growing up in church were the ones that then pulled me towards Jesus during my teenage years where the world was trying to pull me in other directions, hanging on by a thread because I had people in the church who were ready to come and pull me back. The people I met in church discipled me and corrected me and were there for me. They laughed with me. They were family with me. That church community rallied around the younger generation to see them grow up right in God. And I'm so grateful for that church at that time, for the way that it shepherded young people and Gateway Church, we need to do the same. We've, we've all got an obligation, whether you're on the kids' team or not, we've all got an obligation to point these young, these young people towards Jesus. Of that Sunday school group, so many of them are still following Jesus. One of them was on the piano this morning. How about that? Uh, there's one now leading a church in Wimborne. Another guy who's helping to support a church out in Lebanon. People supporting churches up and down the UK, doing amazing things for God. And I'm so grateful that So many of those people that I grew up with are still following Jesus. But I'm desperate for that story to be the same story that my kids have got, you know? I'm desperate for my kids to look back one day and think, oh, those friends that I made when I was five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, still following Jesus. 
I'm praying that my children will have that same experience. That they come here on a Sunday or when we're talking about Jesus at home and they make that meaningful, lifelong commitment to Jesus along with their friends. (coughs) And that they grow up to be future church leaders across the world as well. So I'm asking you, Gateway Church, to play an active role in making that possible. Help us disciple these children into knowing God. Whether you would call yourself a parent of one of those kids or not, actually, let's come together. Let's raise this generation up to make a difference in Paul and Bournemouth for God. Because that's another way that this church will continue to thrive for the next 100 years. If we've got a generation that we can pass it on to. As an eldership team, we've also been doing a lot of thinking about some of the underrepresented age groups that we've got at Gateway Church. Because we want to see each generation flourish among us. Some of us have recently been thinking about the kind of 18s to 25s age range, which broadly speaking, if you look around this morning, is underrepresented. And we want to see a community of 18s to 25s grow and flourish among us as well, so that we can disciple them well and teach them the word of God and have them stand up here and teach us the word of God as well. And sometimes those things need a little bit more work, so we're actively looking at ways that we can help pull them in, and it might be that there's a role for you to get involved in that as well, because we want to build a multi-generational church here in Poole. It's also why we make sure we've got plenty of representation in our church, programs uh, and outreach during the week. Activities like Truth Be Told, which is led by Gemma Gillard up at our older road site, which looks to go into care homes. Gemma was sharing some stats where she thinks there are about 7,000 people in care homes in Dorset and 159 care homes in Dorset alone. So she's on a mission to go and share God's word in care homes to see that generation saved. We've got activities like Little Gators for our young children where young kids can come in and mums into a church building and we want to make sure that they're hearing about God as well. The work that Hannah and the team are doing with Mums the Word, getting mums into this building to come together and share life and do life together is a great way that we can start telling people about Jesus. We've got other activities that hopefully are going to start here soon, gatherers for the older generation um, that meets during the week as well. They're in the diary so that we can share Jesus with multiple generations and see many saved and added to this church. We won't be the church that dies out as long as we keep pressing forward, sharing the gospel in every generation and seeing people saved. We also need our older community to continually disciple the younger generations among us. It's audience participation time. You'll be pleased to hear. Good. So hands up if you've been a Christian for more than 20 years. Hey, we're doing well. Keep your hand up if it's more than 30. More than 40. More than 50 years. Linda, more than 50 years as a Christian. So, 50 years as a Christian, guys. How amazing is that? Tell us, Linda, 50 years, what brings you, how has God been faithful to you over 50 years? Amen. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Round of applause. But 
Isn't that so powerful? 50 years of faith in Jesus and still able to faithfully share the good news about who he is. To say that actually over 50 years, God's given me hope. 50 years, God's given me strength. Isn't that so powerful? We need to hear your testimony and testimonies like it. As, as, as a younger guy, you know, I need to hear testimonies like that because we're all going to face times where we start struggling, where things become difficult. And actually, if you have been a Christian for a long time, then you've got an obligation to help the younger generations among us to steer us on the right path, to share testimony of God's faithfulness. That's another way that we can be a multi-generational church together by sharing amazing testimony of God's faithfulness for years and years and decades and decades in our lives. Younger people will need to hear wisdom from older people about God's faithfulness in times of trial. And if you count yourself among a more, generation here, uh, a more mature generation here, you've got a responsibility to share that testimony and to build younger people up in their faith as well. If I draw your attention back to Judges 2 again, remember those Israelites who forgot about God. One reason that they forgot about God is because they didn't have anybody sharing testimony of what God has done. They'd forgotten those stories of God's faithfulness that brought them out of Egypt and through a Red Sea. They'd forgotten the stories of God's faithfulness. And as somebody in his early 30s, I want to hear stories of God's long-term faithfulness from you guys. I want to be built up and encouraged. I want to be reminded of who God is through your stories. And if we're to continue to be relevant, if we're to escape the trap that the Israelites in Judges 2 fell into, then we need to continue to share testimony with each other and remind one another of God's faithfulness. And that's the beauty of a multi-generational church. We've had kids up here this morning saying that they love learning about Jesus. And we've had people here this morning who have known God for more than 50 years who have been able to share about God's faithfulness as well. And that's the beauty of a multi-generational church as generations come together to build one another up and disciple one another into maturity and faith. And that means that each person sat here this morning has a role to play. Church life is an all-play activity, I'm afraid. And the only way we'll continue to thrive is if we all play our part, coming together to commend God to one another, generation to generation, and to build one another up in faith as this church continues to see disciples made from all generations until Jesus comes again. Are you with me? Good. Well, let's pray. You want to come back up, Grace? Our Father, I do thank you for your goodness towards us. I thank you so much that there has been a church established here in Poole for, over, for almost 100 years. And Lord, I want to pray that there will be a church here for 100 years to come. That you would continue to keep us on the front foot with telling people about Jesus by giving you the glory that is due your name, by praising your name, and by bringing your kingdom to Paul and Bournemouth in such a way that this church grows because we're seeing disciples made. Lord, I'm so grateful for the people in this room who have been walking with God for years and years and decades and decades. Help us to learn from them, from their stories and their faithfulness. And Lord, for those kids who are back there learning about you this morning, you're never too young to make that meaningful commitment, a lifelong commitment to your Father in heaven. And I want to pray that that for some of them that happens soon, even this morning, Lord. We want to see those young people come to faith in you. Lord, help us to play our part. We want to see amazing things happen for your glory in Paul and Bournemouth. We want to raise up generations that will be worshipping you for decades and decades to come, sharing stories of your faithfulness to them as well. Would you do a mighty work among us in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Great. Let's stand up. Um, 
we really wanted to focus, like I've really appreciated what um, Nathaniel said about, we do think, we really do think about the words of the songs that we sing Sunday by Sunday. And we usually try and find out what's the theme, what's the things we're going to be thinking about. And we were thinking about the generational theme. And we picked this song, Who Am I That the Highest King Would Welcome Me? And we're gonna, it wasn't going to be the first one we were going to come back with, but I really want us to, to start with this song because it's, it's the first point that Nathaniel made. Who are you in Christ? So we're going to declare this song together. I, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. I'm a child of God, and God is my good father. So let's come and use this as a prayer just to reclaim and reproclaim to God, this is who I am in you. And 